doing? Well, we're in a series uh, in, uh, in Advent here um, in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we've been looking at various topics here uh, throughout Advent. And so the first week we looked at the topic of hope, uh, which went along with our hope candle. And the second week we looked at the topic of peace, uh, which again went along with our peace candle. And then uh, uh, last week we looked at the topic of joy. And uh, this week we're going to look at the topic of love. <clears throat> and so the fourth week of Advent is, is the week where we traditionally talk about God's love. And God's love, I don't know if there's a more important, a more powerful, a more significant topic for God's people to understand than God's love. And uh, it reminds me of a story. Uh, there was this uh, great theologian, Karl Barth, and some of you may know uh, of Karl Barth, but uh, he, was, uh, he wrote millions of words, tens of thousands of pages of theology, a great Bible scholar, a great theologian, one of the greatest of the 20th century. And uh, Karl Barth, at the end of his life, he was invited to give some lectures at the University of Chicago. <clears throat> and so there, uh, old decrepit, he goes to the University of Chicago, and there in the uh, Rockefeller Chapel, uh, delivers uh, uh, lectures on theology. Made it through the lectures. At the very end of the series, uh, he stood before the people, and uh, uh, he opened it up for questions. And there was one student who uh, raised his hand, and he said this. He said, Karl Barth, you know, you've written all these words of theology, and you're so brilliant. You have, all, you have all these insights. And he said, is there one insight above all the others that you, that you have about God that shaped everything else? Like, is there one thing you, that you've learned about God that that's, is the most important out of all your pages of theology? And uh, Karl Barth, at this age, he was very old. He kind of rocked back at his, on his feet, and he shut his eyes, and he says, yes, there is. He says, the one thing I've learned about God that's more important than anything else is something I learned long ago. He said, it is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So this, according to Karl Barth, is the most important thing he's learned about God. And I would say it's the most important thing for all of us to grasp about God. And many of us, we learned it in Sunday school. We learned the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. It's basic, it's foundational, it's remedial. Um, all of us learned it as little children. It's so, so basic. And yet, even, in, even though it is so basic, it's one of the most hardest concepts to really grasp, isn't it? Although we know it, you know, we get it, it's one of the hardest things to really believe that God actually loves us. You know, a while back, there was this uh, little documentary uh, about Amy Winehouse. And uh, Amy Winehouse is a singer-songwriter who was, like many young uh, artists, uh, was addicted to drugs and alcohol and ended up uh, spiraling down until she died at the age of 27. And so in this documentary about her, uh, it, you know, it's all about this, uh, her spiral. And it began with this confession that is just so jarring. At the very beginning, she says, uh, you know, my dad was there but he wasn't there. And that's all I needed. And so throughout her life, she's grappling with this question, am I loved by dad? And I think many of us grapple with the question, am I loved by God, by my heavenly father? And for many of us, he feels that way. He's there, but he's not there. You know, I don't feel, I don't feel his love. I don't sense his love. And we struggle with this most basic concept, Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, my sister, uh, in her younger years, struggled with clinical depression. 
<clears throat> it was in her 20s, and, and she struggled with it for several years. And, and I was going to Bible college at the time, and, and I remember evenings I would sit at her bedside and just talk to her about God's love. And, you know, I had all this theology, and I was, of course, you know, instructing her with all of my brilliance. And, and I remember one night saying, you know, don't you know that, that God loves you? And bringing her to all the passages. And she looked at me, and she said, Brent, I know God loves me, but I just don't feel like he does. And she says, how do I know that God loves me anyway? It's a good question. And this is the question I want to look at today in this passage in Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> now, Isaiah chapter 7 is, uh, it's traditionally, it's the passage read on the, uh, the Advent candle, candle having to do with love. Uh, but what's so interesting about the passage, I picked it up on Monday to look at it, the word love is nowhere in the passage. And I thought, this is a passage about God, God's love. Where is the word love? But as you go through it, you learn that, the, that it's a passage all about God's love. And specifically, it's about one man's struggle to believe that God loves him. Uh, the man's name is Ahab. And this morning, I want to bring you through his struggle, and I want us to see three things about God's love. Uh, number one, we're going to see the crisis of God's love. And then we're going to move and see the assurance that God gives of, that Isaiah gives of God's love. And then finally, we're going to see the sign of God's love. So the crisis, the assurance, and the sign of God's love. So let's Let's go through this little story about King Ahaz. Number one, the crisis. Let's uh, look at verse one. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Razan, uh, the, I love that name, Razan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Verse two. And then the, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. We'll stop there. And so the story begins with a crisis. And what's going on is uh, there's King Ahaz, and King, King Ahaz is one of uh, the kings of Israel in the line of David. Um, he is a very famous king, uh, and his country is under siege by one of the great uh, national bullies of the ancient world. It was under siege by Syria. And so here they are, square in the crosshairs of, of King Assyria. They're about to be uh, sieged, and Isaiah knows that they're doomed. And so uh, or Ahaz knows that they're doomed, doomed. And so King Ahaz is just terrified. And it says all of the people of Israel are, are terrified with him. And I love the little description of their fear. It says that King Ahaz, this is verse uh, 2, and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. I mean, what a vivid image there. And we got a little picture of it last night, didn't we? You know, you looked outside, and as the wind was blowing, and as the temperature was plummeting, you know, you could look out and see the trees waving back and forth under the weight of the wind. And this is the image of Isaiah's heart, or Ahab, Ahaz's heart. It's blowing back and forth, uh, under the weight of his fear. And this is the way the heart of all the people are feeling. Not just their minds are troubled, their hearts are, are, are burdened down and going back and forth under the weight of their terror as they look at the, the, the doom that's looming on the future. And I want to ask the question, why is Isaiah so, or why is Ahaz so afraid? 
and on one hand, it's obvious. He's afraid of the Syrians. He's afraid that they're going to be destroyed. But I want to suggest that there's something underneath the circumstantial uh, things that are actually fueling his fear. It's a tension. And it's, it's a tension that many of us uh, often feel when we're in bad circumstances. Isaiah is terrified at the loss of God's love and presence. In other words, as Ahaz is looking at the horizon, he's not just looking at, you know, the Syrians and what's going on. He's saying, wait a minute, if this is going on, and if we're going to be destroyed, then where's God? I thought God loved us. Where is he? He's there, but he's not there. This is what's underneath the things that are going on in his life. And in order to get this, you have to see a little bit of the backstory. You see, Israel's identity was all bound up in God's love for them. Their national identity, who they are, was defined by the fact that they were loved by God. They were God's own special people. They were the apple of God's eye. They were the people that God said, look, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. You see, their whole identity is bound up in the fact that they are God's special loved people. An old uh, scripture in Deuteronomy puts it this way. Um, This is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7. It says, God says, It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples, but the Lord set his love on you and chose you because he loved you. So way back in the very beginning, this is the way they defined themselves. They said, look, we were the fewest of all people. We were the least of all people, but God loved us. We were the one nation that God set his love upon. And fast forward to the time of Ahaz, now they're saying, well, God, I thought you loved us. I thought when the, that we were the people you're supposed to bless, and now Assyria is looming on the horizon and we're doomed. Where are you? Where is your presence? Where is your love? This is what's going on. This is why their hearts are shaking like trees in the wind. It's a question about God's love. And I think this is a question that God's people have felt, this tension God's people have felt all the way from the very beginning. I mean, you look at the Bible and beginning with Job and moving on to the Psalms where the psalmist would over and over again say, God, where are you? Where is your love? And moving on to Ahaz, and all the way through the Bible, God's people have always struggled with this tension of, God, we thought you loved us, but where are you? Some of the great saints have, in fact, struggled with this, uh, this issue. As C.S. Lewis, who you all know is one of my favorite uh, writers, um, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a logical argument, and actually a very well-received argument about the love of God and the problem of evil and suffering. I mean, and he argued it extremely well. But then C.S. Lewis started to experience suffering in his own life. Uh, His wife, uh, Joy Davidman, contracted cancer, and he watched her pass away. And then C.S. Lewis wrote another book called A Grief Observed. And this is not so much an argument, but a description of what it's like to go through pain. And you see all the way through this there, the question of God, where are you? Where is your love? And here's a little uh, excerpt from the book. He says, but go to him, speaking of God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face. The sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. 
After that silence will, will be, uh, let's see. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are not lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. So here's C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, struggling with God. I know logically that you love me. And I know that you're there, but, but you're not there. <clears throat> Mother Teresa, uh, she, you know, godly saint who experienced great sorrow, and she always struggled with God's love for her. And at one point she wrote to a friend of hers saying this, Jesus has a special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see, listen and do not hear. This is Mother Teresa. And this is a tension that God's people have always felt in times of struggle and trial and tragedy. It's not just the circumstances, it's the question, God, do you love us? We thought that you love us, where, where are you? And maybe you're there this morning. So what does Isaiah do? Isaiah goes into Ahaz's situation and he's going to give him a, an assurance of God's love. He's going to go into Isaiah's crisis, or, uh, Ahaz's crisis and he's going to give them this beautiful, uh, powerful assurance that in fact God does love him. And he's going to say that despite what you see on the ground, Ahaz, Despite what, you, what, what, what all the evidence says, despite the evidence to the contrary, I'm going to assure you that God is there and that God loves you. And notice in verse 3, God, God, the Lord said to Isaiah, go to Ahaz and meet him. And he says, say to him, be careful. This is verse 4. Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. So he says, Ahab, I want you to be careful. And I don't want you to be afraid. And I want you to be quiet because, listen, despite everything, I know that God's still there. And I know that God still loves you. Then he goes on down in verse, uh, in verse uh, 7. He says, and it shall not stand. This aggression shall not stand. That's a big Lebowski reference. <laughs> going to keep going. And it, shall not, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Raisin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, what Isaiah is telling uh, Ahaz is, look, God's going to be with you. God's going to take care of you. And all of these words he's saying, God, uh, or, uh, God cares. And he's not going to leave you high and dry. And the reason why Isaiah can say this so confidently in the midst of Ahaz's trouble is because he knows something about God's love. The very nature of God's love for his people is that it cannot stop. God's love for his people is of such a nature that is unbreakable, that is unbendable, that it cannot cease. In the Bible, there's this, uh, there's this Old Testament word for God's love. It's the word has said. Can we all say that? Can we, let's say it again. Has said. And uh, actually in Hebrew, it begins with sort of a chesed. And uh, this is the word for God's love all the way through the Old Testament. And the thing is, it's a word that has no English equivalent, has said. 
And translators, uh, you know, they translate it, uh, you know, mercy or faithfulness or God's goodness or loyalty or steadfast love. But the idea behind it is that this is God's loyal love. This is God's covenant love. This is God's bound love. And what it means is that God loves his people in such a way that he can't stop. It's an everlasting love. It's a love that even if God tried to, he couldn't make it go away. It's a pursuing love. It's a, it's a love that goes after us. And Isaiah, say, Isaiah says, look, I know God love, loves you because no matter what's going on, the nature of his love, the nature of his said, is that it never ends. And he says, I want you to be quiet, and I want you to know this, and I want you, that you to be comforted by this. Uh, in the Bible, it describes this said in a few different places. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's one place in Lamentations, a very sad book where right in the middle, it burst out talking about said. It says, the steadfast love, or the said of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is God's said. Or another place in Psalm 23 where it begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what does it say later on in that psalm? It says, And surely said will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow is the word used for a pursuing army. So like God's love pursues us and chases after us and won't let us go. Like a pursuing army. And so Isaiah's saying, yes, I know God loves you because this is the nature of his love. It never goes away. And as you read the book of Isaiah, this is his message all the way through. All the way through the book of Isaiah, the people are in a crisis, crisis, and Isaiah over and over again is reminding them of God's steadfast love. Let me give you a few places where he does that. And one at the very end, Isaiah 49, 14 through 16, Isaiah says this. Uh, The Lord has forsaken me. This is the people saying it. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And here's what Isaiah says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. So this is God speaking. He says, my love for you is like a love that a mother has for an infant. She can't help but love the infant. I will never stop loving you. In fact, your name is engraven on the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. In the New Testament, Paul, St. Paul uh, talks about this love in Romans 8. And Romans 8 is a bombshell of God's love. And here's what, what Paul says about it. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, in other words, he says the love of God is like, is like being bound by ropes. And he, he will never let you go. And whether it's suffering or life or or principalities or sufferings or even death, the love of God is unending. The love of God is stronger than life itself. One place in Isaiah, he says this to them. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So he says, I know you're in a crisis and it seems like God isn't there, but let me assure you, God is with you and he's going to uphold you. And his has said is never ending. <clears throat> my, my father uh, owned a business in, in, my, in his uh, you know, mid-30s. He was an electrical contracting business. And he always struggled with money. Always struggled with money. And the business in the 90s, you know, is always kind of in danger of just crashing to the ground. And, and the whole family kind of sensed my dad's anxiety. Like we knew that he struggled with this. You know, providing with his family and such. And I remember there was one day we went into his office, and uh, it was a particular rough day. My dad was kind of grumpy and sad and not real, you know, nice to the kids. And, and my, my sister at that time, she was probably 14, same one that I mentioned at the beginning. My dad had a big whiteboard in his office, and on his whiteboard, she wrote Isaiah 40 that I just read. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And on that big whiteboard, she could have just written in huge ink, his said. So Isaiah brings assurance. He says, don't you worry. Gosh, the nature of God's love is that it doesn't stop. And it doesn't matter the evidence to the contrary. I'm telling you this is true. God is here, and God loves you. But then let's move on, because someone might say, well, that's, that's nice, and, and I, you know, it's, it's, I believe that truth, but sometimes it feels like just so many words on a white board, you know? You know, it's, it's comforting to see the words in ink, but, you know, sometimes you need more than words. Some, sometimes you need, like, a sign, you know? God, give me a sign that you love me. Throw me a bone. <laughs> give, me a, give me a sign. I want to see a face in a tortilla, you know, or, you know, in the clouds or something. God, it's great that the Bible tells you that you love me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But I need a sign. I need something tangible. I need something real. And look, look at what Isaiah says here. He says, let me give you a sign, Ahaz. And notice in verse uh, 19. <clears throat> Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask for a sign of the Lord, and God let, uh, God let it, let, let, ask for a sign from God, let it be deep as shoulder, high as the heaven. So God says, look, I want you to ask me for a sign. I want to give you a sign of my love. I don't want it just to be words. I want it to be tangible. And it's so important. Look, we're here. God knows we need a sign. God knows we need flesh and blood, something real to hang our, our, you know, our hands around. To, to prove as evidence that he loves us. Give me a sign. And you know, there's a story of this little boy um, in this room. It reminds me of my little boy. And, you know, he, mom puts him to bed and tucks him in, and he calls mom back in and says, Mom, give me a hug. I need a hug. And so mom went back in there, gave the boy a hug, and tucked him in again. She went back out and watched Netflix. She hears a little voice. Mom, come in, give me a hug. And so she goes back in, she gives him a hug, she tucks him in, she goes back out. And she hears this again three, four, five times over. Mom, give me a hug. And finally she comes in and says, listen, little Johnny, I don't know if that was his name, but 
listen, little Johnny, God loves you. God is here. He's wrapping his arms around you right now. And he said, yes, I know, Mom, but sometimes I need someone with skin on. (laughs) Right? And sometimes we just need someone with skin on. And really, in some ways, you know, we can be signs of God's love. We are God's love in flesh and blood. And you can come into somebody's life and be God's said in, in, you know, flesh to somebody. Something tangible, some evidence, some proof that God's there. But notice what Isaiah says here. He says, well, let me just give you a sign. Here's the ultimate sign that, that I am there. And then he said uh, in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So Isaiah says, you want to know the proof that God loves you? You want to know the tangible evidence? Let me give you the sign. He fast forwards and he says, there's going to be a virgin who's going to conceive. And she's going to bear a son. And that son is going to be proof of my love for you because he is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, Jesus Christ is his said with skin on. Jesus Christ is God come with us in flesh and bone. And so God doesn't just stand up and say to the world, look, I love you, trust me, I love you. His love pursues us and it punches a hole into the pitiless walls of the world and he comes inside, into our pain, into our suffering and in Jesus Christ, there is God with us. And he says, you want to know if I love you? Let me tell you what I was willing to go through for you. I was born in a manger. I was born into poverty. And ultimately, at the end of my life, my flesh and bones were pierced through as a sign, as an evidence of a proof of my love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that son is, is the sign. That contrary to all the evidence, God has demonstrated in human history verifiable that he loves you. Jürgen Boltmann is another German theologian. And uh, he came to faith, he was a POW, he was a German POW, and he came to faith in a prison cell in World War, I, uh, World War II. And he was sitting there in darkness in this crisis, you know, and he's, and he's suffering and he's wondering, God, where are you? I'm just forsaken here and I'm languishing and I feel uh, alone. And this prison guard came and give, gave him a Bible, a prison chaplain gave him a Bible. And he says, I opened the Bible and I started reading it and he said, he said frankly, none of it made sense until I got to Jesus. And he says, when I got to Jesus, I knew something about God. And here's what he said. He says, I came to the story of the passion. And when I read Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I knew with certainty this is someone who understands me. I began to understand the assailed Christ because I felt that he understood me. This was a divine brother in distress who takes the prisoners with him on the way to resurrection. I began to summon up the, summon up the courage to live again and seize that great, great hope. This early fellowship with Jesus, the brother in suffering, has never left me. 
I never decided for Christ, which is often demanded of us, but I am sure then and there in that dark pit of my soul, he found me. Christ's God-forsakenness shows me where God is and where he would be in the future. So here is the assurance of God's love for us. God with us, Emmanuel. One uh, poet writes it this way. He says, Other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble, stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The suffering God in Jesus Christ. The love of God made tangible flesh and bone. This is the sign of God's love. And this morning, we're going to take communion. And uh, historically, what Christians have said is that communion is a sign and a seal. In other words, you, you know, I've given you words today, but communion is a sign. It's a tangible sign that God loves you. It's remembrance that God loves us to the point where he was willing to become flesh and bone for us and be broken <clears throat> for our salvation. And so yeah, as you take the sign this morning, I want you just to meditate upon the the pursuing steadfast love of God, that he was willing to come into this world to give himself for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sign that you give us, Lord. There's a lot of things in our lives that we can interpret as your absence. <clears throat> There's a lot of things in our lives that sort of go back and forth and they're not really uh, secure foundations to anchor our trust in you. But Lord, you give us uh, your son, Jesus, who came as a tangible sign that you do, in fact, love us. And we pray this morning as we partake of the elements, Lord, as we, as we, uh, as we eat uh, the, the bread and drink the cup, Lord, that you would remind us of your great love.